0: Well, welcome, friends. We are back with another episode of Bishop in the Moose. Barry is back in the house with us tonight. We're so glad to have him back. It was a much-needed rest for him, and he was able to get much accomplished. And, you know, I know for me, Barry, the Lord personally has been dealing with me about a couple things, and it's really made me start to ask some questions and introspectively begin to examine my own life. And I think the main question that's on my heart and the one that I feel like the body of Christ as a whole needs to ask themselves is, what does it mean to have Christ at the center seat? You know, like if you have an orchestra, Mm -hmm. the conductor is always the one that's directing the orchestra. Everyone has that person. There's always somebody that's in that lead center seat that helps to guide and direct the the, you know, the musicians as they play, you know, but many times the body of Christ, we have this attitude like, I've arrived, I'm serving, yes. I'm doing so many things at my church. I go and visit people, you know, I've prayed for people and they've gotten well, I'm good. I'm getting into the pearly gates. But, you know, Jesus tells us in the word, many at the judgment day will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. But I prophesied in your name. Yes. Did I not cast out demons? Did I not heal the sick? And he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I do not know you. And he calls them evil.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I think you talked about that Uh, just the other day. mm -hmm. And it's the only place that he really uses that term, Mm -hmm. especially in that context. Yes. And what is it?
1: I mean, have you had those times in your life? I would say yes. And I think right now is, is one for me. It never, you know, we don't ever stop and just thank God for the uh, wonderful things we call coincidences that are not coincidences at all, but that are His orchestration in our life. But to sit down and talk to you and you tell me that, and for me to know in my life that the last probably two, three month, maybe weeks, uh, I've been... Uh, i've been doing the same thing, going through a time of really on a personal level, looking at the scripture and seeing what it really means to be led by the Spirit, what does it really mean to uh, to uh you know to be in Christ and for him to be the center of all things um, when i'm uh you know recently in in the church and and uh, i can 't help but mirror I put my life into you know studying what i 'm doing and preaching, and I took a time period here in August before in between time seasons in the church, and I was really drawn to uh, Matthew chapter 25 and just wanted to get into the parables that Jesus used at the end of his ministry, and um, you know, it's the very last things he says at the end of his earthly ministry, and it's all about preparation for judgment. And then his last teaching, after those three parables, he talks about the sheep and the goat, and uh, one of the most powerful passages there, and that's basically the last thing he said in his earthly ministry. Now, what, what I'm saying about all that is... When you start really reading the scripture Mm -hmm. and reading what the scripture says, not what we have learned with our little uh, sayings that we use and all of this, but when you just really start reading what Christ said, it will bring a conviction to you uh, because uh, we tend to want to live in the justification by faith side and not understand that faith that has justified us as a, as a work, it works it out, you know, something comes out of that and manifests in that. And uh, if you read Matthew's gospel, uh, it's pretty amazing that those folks that were more into and, and you're talking to a guy that believes in the power and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and all of this, but it's really interesting in Matthew's gospel, the ones that said, Lord, Lord, And we're all about words and even actions, but the sign actions. You know, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. Lord, we've prophesied in your name. You know, Lord, you know, we've done these miracles in your name. And uh, he said, depart from me, I I never knew you. And yet the ones that are the quiet, behind-the-scenes doing. Are the ones that end up getting praised in in Jesus uh, eschatology, his his view of the end and, and what what's going to happen. And when you get to that very last passage in the in the sheep and the goats, he starts talking about you know uh, he takes the righteous, which are the sheep, and brings them in. Come, he says, enter into the kingdom prepared for you uh, from from the beginning. Uh, the kingdom of God is for you. And then he says to the others, you know, depart from me. But and they say, well. Lord, why? And he said, well, when I was sick, you you helped me. When I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you can't, you know, all those litany of things that are said there. And they all said, they were the text is very strong. They say, Lord, when did we see you in prison? When did we see you sick? When did we see? And he said, well, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it uh, 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 unto me. And wow. I mean, the, the reality of that statement is not just a great it's he says you've done it unto me so all of these people that are unknown but that are going out here and helping people and and by the way jesus very very clearly uses just the criteria of what our faith produces not the faith itself and i always try to communicate this kirk because and i know we're going to bring this together here but i always try to communicate this because you know in a jewish mind in a hebrew mind uh there was no difference between what you know and what you do Matter of fact, you couldn't know something unless you did it. And in America, in the Western idea of things, we can learn things for a test. Is this going to be on the test? And we memorize five things that are going to be on the test. We, we have a difference between something we just memorize and know and then something that really changes our life that gets in and does that. They don't understand that. You know, In God's eyes, you don't really know it unless you're doing it. And you know, if you're doing it, you know it. That proves it both ways.
0: Perfect example. Go into Peru. Mm-hmm. If you go to Peru mm-hmm. and you tell someone, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to come back. We'll see what happens. You just told them you'll be back. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. It's not a,
1: I might. Uh, yeah. It's not <laughs> a possibility it. for yes. them. The moment you said, uh, maybe you're there. Well, let me pull this back around this minute when you say that, because in saying all of that, I was setting the stage and mainly for us, what you asked there is so incredibly powerful and, you know, I, I will I will say this, and I'm just going to say this statement, and you, you tell me, but the success in our walk with God uh, or our failure is de- entirely dependent upon our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean, Completely. That is that is it. So, therefore, I want to look at these passages, and when you ask that question, how am I allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me and lead me uh, in there can, can I read this verse here? It's Come one of the on. powerful verses in uh, Romans chapter 8 you know there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are right. in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death and he goes on for the next 15 or 20 verses that culminates when he's saying if you don't have the spirit of God you're none of his because this is what the spirit this is, when a person has believed, and and, the, and re- therefore receive the Holy Spirit, this is how they behave. And this is what they do. This is how they operate. So, therefore, I can look at my operation in my life. I can look at what I'm doing in my life, and it either confirms or denies what I have confessed. You know, if I confess oh, yeah. it and don't do anything, the confession is hollow and means nothing. But if I look at what is actually happening in my life, then I, that confirms the the confession of faith I have now that's that's an incredibly sobering you know thought because when you ask that question how do we know what is it like to do that we have to come back and look at that just exactly how much am I being led by the Spirit how much am I hearing the voice of God how much am I walking with Him in that and way and how much of what I do every day is autopilot yes it's what I've learned. I've conditioned
0: myself to, and now I'm just going through the motions step by step, litany by litany, and now... Because I've been taught all of my life, I now think I have an end to heaven because of what actions I've taken. Mm -hmm. Some people think just because they go to church on Easter Sunday, Mm -hmm. they're good with God. Mm -hmm. Some people think just because they go to church every Sunday,
1: they're good with God. That's a good point.
0: But they Mm fail to realize that Jesus didn't say that if you show up to church, you're saved. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: He didn't say, if you confess me, you're saved. He said, first of all, if you repent, Mm You confess me as Lord and Savior. You believe that I rose again on the third day. And then you receive me in your heart. Then you'll be saved.
1: Yeah, you know, if you'd asked me that same question 15 years ago, uh, I would have said, Oh, well, Kirk, here's what You got to understand the gospel. You know, all sin falls short of the glory of God. And you got to understand what it means. You got to understand sin. You've got to understand this. And then you've got to pray this prayer with me. And if you pray this prayer with me and ask God to forgive you and you turn from your sins, He'll save you. Because whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. And all of that is very true, obviously. But what I when I read the scripture, now, when I read the scripture, when I listen to what Jesus said, there's a whole lot more emphasis on the result of that confession, right. not the confession itself. Whereas in the evangelical Western world today, most of us have grown up with nothing but a preaching that's, that's centered upon the confession. That's and right. we'll worry about that later, you know, uh, or don't really emphasize that much. I, I've I've asked uh, our people at church, and, and I've done this about everywhere I pastored, I say, if you really want to get serious about your discipleship, then sometime... Uh, and I try to do it every couple of years, but sometimes you need to sit down and you need to take a, I like to say a red letter edition of the Bible because it's easier to do it that way and just go through and actually take a piece of paper and and and, uh, and a pen or pencil and write out exactly what Jesus said. Or, you know, if it, all you can do is just read it, but I've, I've learned that when you read and write something, you really get it in. You Every time I do that, every time I do it, not just the first time I did it, but every time I do it, I am blown away by what Jesus actually said. We, we preachers have been guilty so long of saying when Jesus has a hard saying, we explain it away. Now, we don't think we are, but we get up and we say, you know, Jesus said, you know, if your right hand offends thee, cut it off because you'd be better, you know, going into eternity and going into heaven without a hand, you know, than you would, you know, you know, that teaching. And uh, we always say, "Well, no, he didn't literally mean this. He didn't." You know, we start down that road immediately of that. Whereas Jesus is not saying cut your hand off, but Jesus is showing the urgency right. of how important this is. And we all kind of downplay that, and don't 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 go there. And and that's true of everything he said. Right? When, when I looked at Matthew's gospel, and I read, I love Matthew's gospel. Been in it a lot lately. And just Matthew, Matthew presents something in the neighborhood of. I think 148 stories of Jesus's teaching. Uh, when you you know look at more than you know the, the sermons, and then other times when he was stopped and taught them a parable or whatever. 148, sixty of the 148 deal with judgment and being prepared for judgment at the end times. Almost half of everything that came out of the mouth of the Lord was telling people you better be prepared for the last days because right. you're going to be surprised if you. Are thinking of it in terms that it's all about just me saying something now as you get to the end and he tells that state that story at the end he said you know the father's going to say or the master in the parable is going to say well done thou good and faithful servant he didn't say well said my good and faithful.' so some of my friends they're so tied up in their statement of faith And the details of how they express their faith in God. And I'm not denying the absolute importance of knowing that, you know, what we believe and all of that. But I'm just saying we spend way too much time on our confession of faith than we do actually trying to see how it really changes our lives and does the things that Jesus says it will do in our lives. I think
0: God's more important about the way we live our life than Mm -hmm. how we confess Him.
1: Yes. Because a lot yeah.
0: of people are so stuck on it has to be this kind of prayer, and it needs to be said this way, yes. and you need to say so many ways of it rhyming. or I'm being a little silly with, yeah. silly with it, but you know what I mean. That's the truth. But reality is if you make a confession in a courtroom, yes. you're making a statement. Yes. So pretty much he says if you turn away from your sins, you repent, yes. and you make a statement on me and believe that I am the Son of God, and that I rose again the third day, that you're saved. Yes. So you yeah. make a legal declaration. So mm-hmm. what is a legal declaration? Mm-hmm. It's a binding yes. declaration because you're, you've made a, almost an oath mm-hmm. by making a declaration, because to me, the fact that it says "declare"
1: mm-hmm.
0: has a very strong meaning behind it. They could have just said, "You just say
1: --Yes, yes, yes." that
0: you just talk about, yes. but yeah. it doesn't it says "You declare." And a declaration tends to have a stronger connotation to it, you know, stronger depth than just talking about something.
1: Yeah, you you know, you're saying that. and That's exactly right. Uh, and I think we well, you know we don't downplay the confession part. We don't downplay because the Bible doesn't. The Bible says, "He who confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, believes in the heart, God is raising for the dead, shall be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved." All that we know that. But what I'm what I'm really trying to say, and I think we're saying the same thing here, is that. You know, in the mind of Jesus, in the mind of the Hebrew mindset, there is no difference between the confession, and there's even some argument here for the the Greek word for knowledge or know, uh, that is oida, that's used so many times in in the New Testament, that is an experiential knowledge. And we almost in the West have to explain that. We say, well, this is a knowledge that we didn't get by memorizing something, we got it by doing something. And experience it. So it's an experience knowledge. You know the difference between knowing head facts and then, wow, actually experience something life in any manner, area of life. Well, but, but I'm saying to the Hebrews and even to Jesus himself, there's no difference. Because if you get up and say, well, I, I believe in the Son of God who's manifested in the Trinity, and you got all that, and you can give this perfect articulation of biblical doctrine in your confession, but you have never manifested a walk in the Spirit in your life then it, that you don't know anything, you know, or you don't
0: know what you need to know. I'm going to use an example that will be dear to your heart. <laughs> it's very similar to someone that studies about airline flight versus someone yeah. who either spends time in a simulator or yes. in behind a cockpit. Because yeah. if you just read about it, yes. oh, you know all kinds of things about it. But if you've never touched, you know, Ugh. the steering wheel... And you've never dealt with the controls, and you've been through the process.
1: It's not the same. That's a great illustration. And I, have been in the simulator, and had uh, you know, always disasters happen in the simulator, you know, because that's where you practice. You know, these bad things, so you can be prepared for it. But when you put your hands on those controls, and you know, you either have somebody in there with you, or you're taking. You know, I mean, you're you're in the real world then. You know, you're you're you know, it's it's uh, uh, it's just a whole whole different. Uh, and that's a perfect example of that. And I think that's what we need to get across. So when we sit down and do this inventory in our life and start thinking that, and by the way, the, you know, the New Testament says, make your calling and election sure, my brethren. It's a healthy thing to sometimes sit down and say, how am I uh, making this real in, in in my life and how am I doing this? I, I, this was a little legalistic, but where I am, I this past year went through several of the lists in the Bible Uh, the times where Jesus said, you know, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me all of those type things. I listed every one of those and said, well, what was he praising here? The ones that actually did something to help these people, you know, in these, these areas, I wrote the areas down. I went over to Galatians. These are the works of the flesh. These are the works of the spirit. You don't have to do, I mean, the works of the flesh are mentioned there. You can write them down, you know. And then you can write the works of the Spirit down. This is when. When is this evident in my life? And uh, you can go through Paul's list in Timothy where he said, the last days men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And mm-hmm. you write all of those down and say, what's the opposite of each one of those? Because that's what the Spirit's going to produce in my life. And then I start examining these and saying, where am I making these real in my life? Where there you go. And I don't think that's a... I, mean, I say it's a little legalistic in the sense of making a list and doing that, but I'm really wanting to examine that and say, is the Spirit uh, leading me? If I, if I went a little further in Romans 8 here, you know, uh, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death, be spiritually minded as life and peace. See the contrast here? Because the carnal mind's enmity against God. Wow. What I learned about that is this. My enemy, your enemy, if you're a believer, is not the devil. That's right. He's a defeated foe and a fallen star. He's, he's, he, you know, he's easily whipped, you know. Uh, your enemy is getting that fleshly mind that starts thinking wrong about the things of God. And therefore, what, as we think, so we are. And so we, we get all off course in our life and we can live our whole life each other. The thing that disturbs me, I guess, most, uh, People say, you know, you're you're a biblical preacher, so are you the same preacher you were when you started out thirty years ago or more? And I'm like, No, I'm not And they say, Well, you should be if you follow the Bible. Well, I haven't changed one bit of the crucial, cardinal, foundational doctrines, Jesus is God, you know, all of this, you know, I I'm none of that's changed. But what has changed is my understanding, my revelation of who God is and getting into new, you know, walking with him stronger and stronger every day of my life. And wow, have I changed. I've changed so much that when I go back and look at some tape or something of a service, you know, 20 years ago, I think, wow, you know, look how much God has changed us, not just me, but the church itself, you know, during during this time. So I, I want to do it. And it amazes me that people will start out and they'll get locked into something, and they will refuse to ever listen to anyone that says anything different. And, uh, you know, I I listen to people that are different. I always have. I I want to drink from, uh, you know, different streams always in my life. It's one of the
0: most dangerous places to be. Yes. Think about somebody that's about to go through a hard time in their relationship, marriage. Mm -hmm. If they surround themselves with people that only have issues – and they have the exact same point of view and don't challenge them,
1: yes. they're
0: destined to fail.
1: Yes.
0: There's a very large chance they'll end up in divorce. However, if they surround themselves with the men of God, yes. or even if they're not a Christian, if they surround themselves with people that are encouraging, that say, look, invest in your marriage. Mm-hmm. What could you do to change in your own life to help better the situation? And Or, yes. or they start saying, Stop focusing so much on the bad. Start focusing on the good, or mm-hmm. they start making you challenged instead of just saying, "Oh, sir, sorry yeah. for you." Yes. Uh, you know, you're better off without her. You yeah. know, that's not that's not helping anything. No. But if they encourage you to move mm-hmm. beyond the negative and yes. start pushing into the positive arena. It won't diminish the other things that are going on, but it will help you change your perspective and challenge you. And that's That's the problem. Most people, they refuse to be challenged, and they want
1: yes-men around them. Yes.
0: If you're always surrounded by (laughs) yes-men. I'm giving you a
1: yes-man. I'm a yes-man right here. Yes. If you're
0: always surrounded by (laughs) yes-men, you're destined for failure. You know, I remember when I set up my nonprofit, I first started thinking about, do I want to have people on my board that are friends? And I thought, well, I have two of them that are friends, but they're also not yes men.
1: Yes. And yes,
0: yes. The, the thing was that the criteria was, and they I told them right out of the gate, I said, you can't tell me yes just because you love me. Yes. And I knew that neither of them would because they confronted me in the past. Mm-hmm. What are you doing XYZ for because of XYZ? Yes. So they already knew and they already had the opening to make corrective words or to ask questions, hey, why is this happening or whatever? And so I picked people that would challenge me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I purposely picked others because I knew they were good in business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I knew that they could bring to the table, okay, you want to do this, this, and this for this project.
1: Yes. Have you thought through Have this? you thought yeah, th- yeah. about
0: this? Nice. Have you thought about this yeah. other thing? And what about this? And they were a lot of them are forward thinkers, you know, mm-hmm. in business mindsets. And so I, I pull these people; they're all believers together.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I don't pick them just because they'll say yes. I pick them because I want them to ask me the hard question.
1: See so that you saying that in that business world or that world of close friends and, and ministry and all that, and and then I'm saying over here, you know, even in your Christian walk, uh, what well, what are these people? What are, you know? What are the Vineyard? churches. Great great Godly. What are they saying about this? I want to go hear some of their preachers. What are they I'm not talking about going here and heretics. I'm not talking about going out and hearing people but it, it's funny in either one of these situations we're talking about here the human nature is to Surrounds yourself with you know just uh, you know you know something that won't challenge you and something that'll confirm what you're doing already and uh, you know it, whether it's in ministry business whether it's in just experiencing God and hearing some things uh, yeah you know real quickly I just say this with me I, you know I was raised I was in the Baptist you know environment I'm so thankful for so much of that but there came a time when I was like what are these because I would look at some of these you know, Baptist people that were in the church that were older and so negative and so critical and so mean-spirited. And then I would look over at some of these Pentecostal friends that I had that, you know, they didn't dot their I and cross their T's the way I did. Matter of fact, they did some things really wrong, you know, in Scripture there. Not damnable doctrines, but just things about the way they they worshiped or did some few things that I thought, boy, that don't line up with the Scripture. Where, But then I started to look how they love God. Look at the manifestation of their That's life right. or the fruit. And I thought, you know, if I really want to be like somebody when I grow up, I want to be like this person, not this person. And, you know, so you know, when you drink from, you know, different streets, if you keep listening to what you've always heard, you will always stay where you've always been. You, you have to, you know, see what, what, what God's saying in a richer atmosphere. And I think that is confirmed in me, what we're talking about here, the ability to experience all of what God has for me.
0: I've got a good example that a friend of mine gave me. Um he's a missionary to Nepal and he was talking about how there was a minister in Sri Lanka that these missionaries had gone to and they were telling him, You need to have multiple services at your church. And he mm-hmm. kept saying, No, I need a bigger building. We don't do that in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Well, over and over they kept trying to convince him and finally the minister that was there from the United States says, You know what? we're taking you to Pastor Cho's church mm-hmm. in Korea. Mm-hmm. And he goes, why? He goes, because you need to see something.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so they took this pastor from <laughs> Sri Lanka to Pastor Cho's church in Korea and had him sit through all, think like Ooh, 10 boy. services. Yeah, yeah. And at the very last service, they look at him and says, so what do you think? He goes, we need multiple Little services service. in <laughs> Sri Lanka. Yeah. And the whole point of it was, is he had no concept Yes. In his mind. So he could not imagine the way it would work, the way it would function, the way it would go. But what happens? If you only surround yourself with yes men, people of the same thinking, you are never challenged to get outside of the box and do things differently. But if you expose yourself to people of different thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, the same passions, Mm -hmm. but they do it differently. They came to their conclusion a different way. They had a different method. You can be challenged to move outside of your comfort zone, and maybe you might make a larger impact than you would have if you just had people that think just like you.
1: So when it comes to doctrine, so many people get nailed into that false trinity that so many people are locked in today, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And they think that they, they get so conf- concerned with the confession— and getting the, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, I'm not d- denying the importance of some of this. I'm not. I'm just saying they get so into that, they lose what it's supposed to do and how they ought to love one another and, and care for other people. They they totally lose that. And they become very mean-spirited, Uh, you know, very ugly. I mean, one of the biggest expositors of our day. I have seen the ugliness come out of his mouth in attacking other ministers and things. It just says, that is not the spirit of Christ at all. And uh, you get so tied into that, you can't see it. So real quick as we close, we got to ask our question again. What does it mean? to have Christ as the center of all things, to have the Holy Spirit leading you. And I think in our day, or as Christians living in this age that we're living in, it's the Holy Spirit that is living within us, that guides us, how we give him control, how we do those things. These are subjects uh, we've talked a lot about going through lists and looking at the Bible. What it says, is this really taking place in my life? Reading Jesus' actual words, how much he emphasized the doing aspect, not That's just right. the believing aspect. And all of that, but uh, I think we could talk a little bit longer about this in, in, a, in a future time because there's a whole lot more to talk about here That's than right. can be talked about in just 30 minutes, I believe. So,
0: I completely agree. And guys, we're so glad that you joined us. We really hope you come back again. You know, we would love to hear from you as well. You can always email Pastor Barry at bclinging at trophylakes.org, or you can contact me at mooseministriesinc.com at one of our contact forms. You can also leave your prayer request either, at either location. Uh, We do have a learning platform we're working on. We're about to release that probably in the next month or two. And we have several resources that we've gotten. We actually have Bishop and the Moose now on podcast. Yes, yes, we do. So if you can't join us here for Facebook Live all the time, but you really enjoy it, or you can't always join us for the YouTube channel, you can always catch either one on the podcast. And you can find the link at iTunes or on Google. Mm-hmm. or you can go to the Moose Ministries page, either one. So guys, we really appreciate you. We'll see you again next time. God bless you.